So today we're going to continue on through the book of Malachi. Last week we covered verses 7 through 12 and dealt with tithing. Um, This week um, we're going to cover verses 13 through 18. So turn to Malachi chapter 3 um, and stand for the reading of God's word once you've found that. Malachi chapter 3, we're going to finish chapter 3 by covering verses 13 through 18. And I pray this sermon is a blessing to you. Pray these words are words of the Lord here are a blessing to you. It says, your words, this is God addressing the children of Israel, your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? God responds and says, you have said, it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them. As a man spares his own son who serves him, Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we thank you that you have preserved your scriptures down through the years, that we might know your ways and your thoughts. We ask that your blessing be upon this sermon, that you help me to set forth that which you put upon my heart to declare. Use it for good in the lives and minds and hearts of the listeners to be built up in the faith, to be equipped to do the work of the ministry, to put their hand to the plow, O God. Lord, we give thanks to you for your goodness to us. We beseech you again for our brothers and sisters who are traveling. Use them wherever they may be to the glory of your name. And we beseech you again for those who are ill. Bring healing to their bodies, we pray, and to any of the children's bodies. Lord, do a great work we ask. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So here in verse 13, we see the continuing motif where the Lord points out what the Israelites are saying, and they respond in their usual blind, rebellious way, like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Right? Isn't that what we see here in verse 13? Your words have been harsh Against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? That's what they say. And in verses 14 and 15, the Lord points out to them what they are saying that has been harsh towards him. It says, you have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. This goes back to our sermon from five weeks ago. When we looked at chapter 2, verse 17. Remember that verse? Look back there. Malachi 2, verse 17. What they were saying here in verses 14 and 15 goes back to what they were saying back in verse 17 of chapter 2. You have wearied the Lord with your words, 
Yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? And that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, where is the God of justice? If you want to know what I said regarding this situation, of what they're saying against the Lord, the harsh things they're saying against him, go back and listen to that sermon from five weeks ago where I covered verse 17. And you can hear all that I said there. But as we said in that sermon, people can begin to think that God is for the wicked, that he delights in them. Where is his justice? Sounds crazy, right? But it's true. This is a common thing. And I addressed it there in the last sermon when I covered chapter 2, verse 17. Even David found himself at times noticing this. And you may notice that we live in such times now, as those Israelites found themselves in back then. The wicked are flourishing. The wicked are prospering. Where is the Lord? People begin to question his justice. Why do such times arise? Why do such times not only arise back then with Israel as God's people, but also have arisen in our time with Christians as God's people? They arose back then, we see in Malachi, as we've been going through here, because of the failure of the churchmen of that time and the resulting religious morbidity of the nation and of God's people. And we have seen the same thing in our day, a failure of the churchmen of our time resulting in the religious morbidity of Christianity and God's people. But it's even deeper than that. You have to understand that there's an ongoing war for the souls of men in the earth. A war between good and evil. It is a war between Christianity and paganism. If I could give you the briefest overlook of history to show you something, Please let me do so. Understand that Christianity came on the scene and in less than 400 years it defeated paganism in large geographical areas both in the west and the east. Defeated it outright. Didn't mean it no longer existed. Didn't destroy it completely. There's always a, you read history from 400 AD all the way up to, you know, 1700 AD. You see elements of pagan thought and practice found throughout the world. But by and large, it was defeated. And the institutions were more or less controlled by Christian thought, Christian presupposition. And now, over the last 200 plus years, there's been another massive battle between Christian and pagan thought in the West. And the pagans have resecured the power levers of society. They've resecured them. And there's a clear difference between the Christianity of that time and the Christianity of our time now here in the West. Big difference between that early Christianity that defeated paganism in 400 years and the Christianity that has seen its defeat in the last 200 years. Where the pagans have taken all the power levers of society. Early Christianity defeated paganism Our Christianity in the last 200 plus years has been defeated by paganism, 
though the battle continues. The battle doesn't end. Understand the culture war never ends. When any Christian tells you the culture war is over, we lost, it's not true. The culture war never ends. And if you want to respond with indifference towards the culture war that's going on, one day it'll walk up on your porch, knock on your door, and break it in. And you'll realize it never ended. It doesn't end. Better to meet them down the street. Better to meet them down the street and in the marketplace of society. This defeat of paganism, this routing of paganism by Christianity by 400 AD in the West was a massive battle. Many Christians were killed by Rome in the process, persecuted, murdered. These early Christians who confronted the idols, evils, and tyrants of Rome were different than the 21st century Christians in the West of our day. These early Christians actually lived faithful to Christ. They hazarded their lives for the faith. And they brought Christianity into every sphere of life. That's powerful. They brought Christianity into every sphere of life. They hazarded their lives for Christ. They were faithful to Christ. Unlike the Christianity of our day, which is tepid, wants to be liked, doesn't want to offend, doesn't want to confront evil, tyrants, idols. Here's something I want you to ponder, something I've been thinking about. It is this. If Rome tolerated so many odd and weird religions, and if you know anything about history, Rome tolerated many odd and weird religions. If Rome tolerated so many odd and weird religions, why did Rome persecute the Christians so heavily and view Christianity as a threat? That's what I want you to ponder. If Rome tolerated, accommodated themselves to odd and weird religions, plethora of them, why did Rome persecute the Christians so heavily and view Christianity as a threat? And I submit to you that it was because the early Christians saw the imminence of Christ's rule in the earth. And that is the title of my sermon. The imminence of Christ's rule in the earth. Because the early Christians saw the imminence of Christ's rule in the earth, the Roman establishment found Christianity intolerable and a threat. Understand what I am saying. Christianity holds to the transcendence of God. Hugely important doctrine. We hold to the transcendence of God, but not to the exclusion of divine imminence in the earth. We hold to the transcendence of God, but not to the exclusion of divine imminence in the earth. There's a huge difference between paganism and Christianity. We see transcendence. But our transcendence, the transcendent God that we serve, doesn't mean we're indifferent towards the matters going here on in the planet. As Christ himself taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom impacts the kingdoms of the earth. 
His kingdom impacts individuals and nations, confronts the evils, idols, and tyrants of the day, confronts the status quo, confronts pagan thought in all areas of life, ethics, law, economics, etc., all areas of life. Not what American Christianity has reduced it down to, just a little sliver of your little narcissistic personal life. Christianity teaches the transcendence of God, but not to the exclusion of divine imminence. And this is what made Christianity a threat to Rome, a threat to the status quo, and hence their persecution of Christians and Christianity in the Roman Empire. Right from the beginning, in the book of Acts, we see the conflict between Rome and Christianity, between the followers of Christ and the Roman authorities. This is why they were accused of treason. The Christians were in Acts 17, wherein the hue and cry against them was, quote, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king. Jesus, unquote. But this isn't the hue and cry against Christians in our day. Unless you're one of the few who actually does confront the idols, evils, and tyrants of the day, actually bucks the status quo and challenges pagan thought. Unless you're one of those few. And then not only will the pagans vociferously attack you, but the Christians will too. Had the early Christians pillared a purely transcendent form of Christianity which rejected the world and did not concern itself with what goes on in it, the authorities of pagan Rome would have left it alone. Let me repeat that to you. Had the early Christians pillared a purely transcendent form of Christianity, you know, the prevalent form in America today, which rejected this world and did not concern itself with what goes on in it, the authorities of pagan Rome would have left it alone, treating it as just one more weird religion among many. But Christianity is not that kind of faith. God's law and words speak to every area of our lives and every area of life. So true Christianity takes an interest in what is going on in the world and develops ideas regarding the nature of authority, the nature of law, economics, Justice, the nature of man, the nature of God, and on and on from a biblical Christian worldview. Christianity in the West, in our day, on the other hand, has pillared a purely transcendent form of Christianity which wants nothing to do with Christ's imminence in the earth. So the pagans have regained the power levers of society. So, it is because of our failure, because we refuse to be the salt of the earth, so intent on being the sugar of the earth, that Christianity in the West has failed Western civilization, and more importantly, we have failed Christ. Therefore, as Christ said, we are only good to be thrown on the ground and trampled under the foot of men. Well, most of Christianity in the West sums up the situation to their prophecy charts. The truth is, we have not been faithful to Christ. That's the situation here. 
Christianity in the West hates the law of God, and it only likes select portions, very select portions of his word. Yeah, that's right. They hate the law of God, and they only like a very select portion of his word. Proverbs 28, verse 4 says, Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. A confrontation takes place between good and evil, between Christian thought and pagan thought. But Christianity in the West has thrown the law of God under the bus. They have been praising the wicked. There are a few Christians who are contending with the wicked, and the consequence of their, the wicked's, acts, the consequence of their evil is seen in the land. Now notice the rest of this passage. Let's read verses 16 and 17 as we move along here. We see the situation here. There's evil in the land. There's lawlessness everywhere. People are doubting that God is just anymore. Good has become evil. Evil's become good. And then all of a sudden in verse 16 it says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Amen. Who are these people? Well, these would be the people who love the Lord and his law and word. They fear the Lord and meditate on his name. We do not know what plan they put together, but they conferred with one another. Isn't that what it says there? They confer. They realized something needed to be done. Lawlessness abounded. They conferred with one another, and whatever plan they came up with or whatever happened there, it turned out to be good. They understood the situation, that evil was being called good, good was being called evil, that lawlessness was prevailing, so they gathered to pray and to plan and then to act. And look what verses 17 and 18 say of them. It says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them. As a man spares his own son who serves them. And then look what it says in verse 18. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between who serves God and who does not serve God. In other words, all this insanity, all this lawlessness, where good is now evil and evil is good, and everything seems crazy, it's all going to be cured at some point. And people are going to realize again, okay, that's good, that's evil. They serve the Lord, they don't. Things were going to be made right again. Because his people who loved him and feared him gathered together, conferred, prayed, made a plan, and acted in the earth. Amen. We must be those people in this day, in our day. We must be those Malachi, chapter 3, verse 16 people. Have you noticed there's an information war going on in America? There's always been an information war in the earth. Always has been. It's been between God's thoughts and the world's thinking. An information war between pagan thought and Christian thought. It's been going on a long time. We may just have 
may notice it more than ever now because they've created these monolithic narratives where all the media is on the same page and they censor you if you can't or if you try to say anything contrary to their narrative. We may have noticed it more. This information war that we see so prevalent now, there's been an information war going on since time immemorial between God's thoughts and the world's thinking, between pagan thought and Christian thought. The information war in our day involves two things, misinformation and censorship. The war includes censorship by the pagans, you know, the people who will not let any American child ever forget about the Salem witch trials and a skewed view of what all went on there at that. The same people that always love to talk about the censorship of the Nazis. Just this week, Tucker Carlson pointed out that the Babylonian bee was censored by Twitter for tweets containing basic facts about human biology, that men who claim to be transgendered women are still men. Tucker pointed out that the bee's assertions were accurate, so Twitter decided to censor Tucker too. (laughs) They don't love truth. They want everybody to accept the lie of neutrality. Neutrality is a myth. And once all the dumb Americans, including the dumb Christians, embrace the myth of neutrality, they get the upper hand, and now you're going to conform to their thinking. They never cared about truth or what was right or fairness. They used it as a tool to get the upper hand. Now you have a whole generation of young people who are like, oh, what? What?" Understand their information is misinformation, and you have the greatest weapon to dismantle their disinformation. It's your sword. That would be this. The word of God is your greatest weapon in this information war. It is the greatest weapon. You must declare the created order of God You must declare his law. You must declare his gospel. You must declare his word. Amen? And his law and word address every matter of life. Not just the little sliver American Christianity wants you to think and talk about, and none other. The information war demands that Christians address all areas of life with God's thoughts, whether law, government, economics, ethics, health care, whatever. I happen to be partial to government matters, as you may have come to notice. So I want you to consider the apologists. They wrote their apologies, their defense of the Christian faith, and addressed them to the civil magistrates of their day, the emperors, the governors, and so on. They were in an information war, the apologists were. There were rumors going on about Christianity that Christianity was involved in orgies, that we were involved in cannibalism, that we were involved in incest, all these things twisted about cannibalism. They eat the body and blood of this figure named Jesus. Incest, they're brothers and sisters, and they're married to each other. Orgies, yeah, just an outright lie. (laughs) So misinformation, malignment, twisting things, And just outright lie. That's how the wicked always convey their information wars against godly good people. One rumor said that an infant was covered in flour and then killed by the Christians, that they cut the child up and drank his blood. Had something to do, I'm sure, with communion being distorted by the pagan men. 
So Christians were being persecuted. They were being bloodied, persecuted, and murdered. Martyred for the faith. This was no small thing in the Roman Empire. And these apologists understood they had to fight an information war. And they sat down beginning in about 150 AD and began to write a defense of the Christian faith, both in doctrine and practice. Orthodoxy and heterodoxy. Not one or the other, both. And they addressed them to the magistrates of their day. And understand, they were confronting the false information and explaining what was true. And in the end, it was precisely their writings that prepared the hearts of Roman magistrates to more readily accept Christians and Christianity in God's good time. All that information war, while the apologists were writing, Christians were still being killed, still being persecuted. But it was precisely because they engaged themselves in the information war and just didn't act indifferent towards it and say, oh, well, we're doomed. We'll be out of here in the next 30 minutes. Because they engaged it. God used it. So that the magistrates saw these are the best of citizens. They're industrious. They're pure. They, try to, they will obey the civil authorities, except when we do something contrary to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they won't obey. They won't tolerate that. But the, the magistrate saw what a goodness such a people would be as citizens. And I will post an article I wrote on the apologists to the details section of this sermon. So you can learn a little bit more about the apologists and what they wrote. And their writings are still, many of them, available for us to read today. They were involved in an information war. Will Durant, who's an historian, how many of you ever read any of Will Durant's books? Four people out of 175? Um... Yeah, okay. Will Durant, I really like his writing style, and he always picks up these little cornered things, little things in the corner that other historians miss, it seems like. If you know anything about reading history, once you're reading books on an era or a person or a topic, you see a lot of repeat from the historians. But you always get a gem. Well, with Durant's writings, you get more than a gem. He had numerous gems from his writings, and he wrote on the Reformation. In there, he said this, quote, In Protestantism, the preachers became journals of news and opinion. Okay, this is true. I've been attacked by Christians in our day because we shouldn't be talking about things that are going on in current affairs. Okay, take your pietism and go down the road. The truth of the matter is, God's word addresses all areas of life. He has something to say about what's going on. In Protestantism, the preachers became journals of news and opinion. They told their congregation the events of the week or day, and religion was then so interwoven with life that nearly every occurrence touched the faith or its ministers. They denounced the vices and errors of their parishioners, and instructed the government as to its duties and faults, unquote. 
an information war. Bringing the truth of Christian thought to men. His law, his word, his gospel. Understand, it can seem like the wicked excel. But understand the Lord is using them for his purposes. There is a war going on. And my question to you is, are you going to sit it out? Or faithfully serve Christ while it rages? J. Gresham Machen, who lived 100 years ago, Christian brother who stood for orthodoxy and stood fourscore for Christ when men were doubting the veracity of Scripture and men were trying to subvert the gospel to a mere social gospel mentality. He said this, he said, He stood four square against those things. He said this, he said, the field of Christianity is the world. I love that. The field of Christianity is the world. The Christian cannot be satisfied so long as any human activity is either opposed to Christianity or out of all connection with Christianity. Christianity must pervade not merely all nations, but also all of human thought. The Christian cannot therefore be indifferent to any branch of earnest human endeavor. The church must seek to conquer not merely every man for Christ, but also the whole of man. Unquote. Amen? I want you to know that in my reading of history, as I read history, there's certain times where there's, it's epoch-changing times. And they don't come that often. Might be every 300 years, might be every 500 years, might be, they come infrequently. Major epoch-changing eras. I believe we're living in one right now. Massively so. The tyrants are unleashed. Evil is afoot. There's a huge war going on. That's exciting. To live in a time like this, may we be faithful and true to Christ, amen, and make him known to men and confront anything, as Machen says, all that which is contrary to Christ and Christianity. Christianity doesn't just resist the evil. Christianity builds something in place of the evil. Amen? We get to confront evil idols and tyrants, and we get to build. Who knows what's going to happen? It's exciting. May we be like those in Malachi 3.16. Amen? Let's stand up and we'll close in a word of prayer.